3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to teach you, educate. Call me 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. There are three words that define this market. Source of funds. The first time I heard this phrase, source of funds, was at a meeting with a foundation that wanted to put more money in treasuries. We got in together a list of stocks that we liked more than others. As for the ones we disliked, we didn't just say, sell, sell, sell. We said, these stocks are sources of funds. Right now, hedge funds and big cap, comp- big cap, every single money manager in the world, frankly, are using tech stocks as sources of funds to buy treasuries or for actually anything, anything that might be undervalued if the Fed finishes tightening in the not-too-distant future. So while the Dow fell 129 points today, yes, and to lost 0.75%, the tech-heavy Nasdaq tumbled 1.03%. Again, the tech-heavy Nasdaq is a source of funds. In this environment, you need some health care, some consumer product stocks to start. Then you pick up the industrials where you think the Fed's almost done tightening. Maybe now, maybe a few months from now. Oh, and you stick with the banks no matter what, because the Fed rate hikes instantly make them more profitable. And they're not seeing so many loan losses because they've got much better risk controls and the balance sheets of Americans are so great. But how the heck do we pay for these bank stocks or health care names, consumer packages? Well, it's easy. From the sources of funds, that's where. And the most obvious ones, well, the most obvious sources of funds, Meta, Alphabet, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, and anything semiconductor. See, it's a two-step process. First, they sell their sources of funds when the market gets overbought. That's happening right now. According to the S&P oscillator I followed for ages, we're very overbought right now. You know, it closed last week at plus 8.5, which means you have to hold your nose and sell something because we're due for a pullback. Almost every the, the odds are so great for this pullback, that car, that no wonder it started today. The oscillator measures when the market's just too extreme, either too greedy or too fearful. Right now, it is way too greedy. That means money managers sell first and ask questions about what to buy later. Just one problem. The source of funds the source of funds themselves. See, I don't think these beaten down tech stocks are all equal. Some are a lot worse than others. So I want to walk you through the differences, given that many of you still own some of them. Oh, come on. Let's face it. Everybody owns some of them. Let's not rank them, okay? Let's just tank them, meaning we recognize these big tech names are going down and we have no illusions about it. We might have sentimental attachments to them, but we want to be rational in accepting that these are indeed sources of funds. For all those other stocks I mentioned, as long as they remain high enough to be worth selling, their stocks will continue to be slaughtered, often with reckless abandon, as we saw today. In other words, we're not trying to figure out which techs to sell. The market's going to sell all of them. But we may need to figure out which ones could soon stop being sources of funds, because after another couple of bad days, well, they're going to have come down too much. In other words, the velocity of the decline is so great that there may be opportunity, but not yet. First, though, let me say there's one exception, and that is the stock of Apple. I know the stock got hit off the closure of a key Foxconn plant that could hurt iPhone production. Let me play devil's advocate here. I don't doubt for a minute that there's a COVID issue in China as the Communist Party refuses to use the best vaccines, so they keep shutting down everything to protect their people, even though all this could be avoided with some shots from Moderna. I'll say this about President Xi. He's a man of conviction, even when his convictions are dead wrong. But what really matters with Apple is that last week, CEO Tim Cook, in an exclusive interview, told me that they have so many different suppliers for everything that I bet they don't even skip a beat off this Foxconn closure. Plus, not long ago, everybody was worried about there being too many new iPhones. Well, guess what? Now suddenly there's a scarcity factor, a warning not to get too excited as per the last conference call. But I do think that Apple's fine for now. I think Apple could be good for a long time. Don't get me wrong. There might be a time when you have to sell Apple. Well, right now, I want you to own it, not trade it. While Apple's a tech company and its stock trades like a tech stock, I actually see it as a consumer products play with immense brand loyalty because its technology is so great. That's a real rarity in Silicon Valley. At the same time, Apple is scale so it can get the best prices. It has an ethos, which is to deliver the best product. Customers always right. And every product is now a gateway to another product that they sell or service that they run, including the 900 million people who have some kind of Apple subscription. Apple's a hard stock to sell. I'd much rather buy my time than buy more the next time the market gets oversold. This is the one I would not let go. Now, when it comes to the rest of big tech, I'm a lot less sanguine. Microsoft's a stock I've liked forever, but it is a black box. We don't know how they, We don't know enough to make real judgments here. Much is going well, of course, the web services business is fine. It's just that the cloud migration cycle is getting a little long in the tooth. Unfortunately, Microsoft's main product is still Windows, and the PC business is just awful. We may have to wait until the company anniversary sees slow sales, and that won't be for nine months before we see any kind of bounce back. I predict Microsoft will be a major source of funds. Too many worries about the cloud and the PC, plus the stock's far from cheap at 24 times earnings. That's an irresistible sell for a hedge fund or a mutual fund that needs cash, certainly a foundation. Now, Alphabet looks like an easy source of funds because it has so much advertising exposure. But there's a problem with that. The stock already sells at less than 20 times earnings, much cheaper than its big tech compadres. Plus, Alphabet has the ability to control the spending going forward. I think it got caught still hiring people when things were good in advertising. Now the ad business has gotten tough, and Alphabet will scale back appropriately. They've done it before. I bet they can do it again. Too late to sell this one. As it gets brought down, I'm tempted to buy more for the trust if the market is not overbought. Amazon keeps me up at night because they have to fire an army of people. It's like a war ended and they need to send all the recruits home. I'm talking about a reduction in force of unprecedented proportions. If they can pull off these layoffs, the stock goes up. If they can't, it goes down. I do believe that CEO Andy Jassy will do it, which makes Amazon a bad sale at a certain point. Doesn't mean it's a buy. Does mean there are better sources of funds. How about the semiconductor stocks? No mercy. They're levered to every bad end market, and they all are viewed as sources of funds. The semis are defenseless flaunts. I can't defend them. Not when Qualcomm sells it just nine times earnings. It keeps being clubbed over the head like a baby seal. I think the semis will remain sources of funds until there's some sort of consolidation in the industry, not the Justice Department will let that happen, until the president lifts the restrictions on chip sales to China. I don't see that in either. Personally, I feel the market's being too harsh here, but I, but I think it doesn't matter. Watch NXP Semi tomorrow. It missed estimates tonight. Uh, I would love to see a semi bounce on a miss. It hasn't happened yet. Tesla. Now, this one's a real cult stock, so it's much less likely to become a source of funds, unless it becomes a source of funds for Elon Musk to finance his purchase of Twitter. Talk about throwing good money after bad. As long as he doesn't sell some, I wouldn't sell it either. Finally, there's meta. The lack of discipline here is simply frightening. It'll be a source of funds until the cows come home or until mass firings are announced. It bounces on the ladder, but who knows where from where that will be? And otherwise it's, well, let's just say it's why we downgraded for the trust. Bottom line, now you know what portfolio managers are talking about and thinking when they're talking to their clients. Even if they have new cash coming in, they are still addressing this issue. You know why? Because the tyranny of tech, the tyranny of tech has been overthrown and nobody wants to go near these things. The rest of the stock world beckons and these are the sources of funds needed to buy them. And if they go up, it could be a gift. Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Kramer. Thank you for Joe. taking my call. Of and course.
4: I just want to let You know, the most that I got out of watching your show is to stay diversified.
3: Well, that is what I teach. Thank you so much. Many people just bet them all on tech. I can't stand that. How can I help? uh, I'd like to know if I should add to my existing position of Pepsi. All right, this is a tough question because PepsiCo has long been one of my favorite consumer product companies. I think management is absolutely terrific, but it did hit an all-time high today, and the market is overbought. So why not wait till it comes down? There is no need right now to start buying the stock of PepsiCo, and that comes from someone who likes the stock very much. Jacob in North Carolina. Jacob. Jimmy, chill. Booyah. Booyah. What's going on? Hey, uh, I just want to ask you about this
2: stock because it doesn't look too good. I'm really bearish on it. Um, You know, it's got exposure to e-commerce, emerging markets. I feel like there's pull forward, but I'm not sure how the Brazilian election comes, comes in. I'm looking to take a chunk out of Mercado Libre's market cap.
3: I think it's a sale because I don't like the way politics are shaping up in Latin America. They seem to have gone all the way back to the days when people are going to be i us just say where the middle class gets in trouble. Uh, and I don't the upper class. No, but the middle class. And therefore, I think let's stay concerned. Let's stay away from Ricardo Lieber. And I was an original investor in the company. Let's go to Todd in Florida, please. Todd. Big booyah from Pensacola, Jim. Uh, nice. Just increase
2: their uh, dividend. But the stock price is way down. I was wondering on your thoughts with that.
3: It is an interest rate play. I saw one of the trucks today in Central Park when I was outside. It's a beautiful day today in New York. And I saw. I went back and looked, 4.7% yield, very good growth story. I think the Crown Castle is a good stock to own right here. All right, the tyranny of tech has been overthrown, and nobody wants to go near these things right now. But remember the three words that define this market, source of value. My oh, Man Money Tonight, Brunswick has been able to cruise higher in the last couple weeks. So could this just be the beginning of a larger move? I'm talking to the CEO. Then Larry Williams' charts were able to call this October rally like no one else. What should you expect from the, till now to till the end of the year? I'm consulting him again. And could trash become treasure for your portfolio? I'm digging into a company that we haven't seen for 14 years in the show. Republic Services with the company's top brands. So stay with We've seen a new class of winners emerge this earnings season. Let's call them the buy-the-confession names. These are stocks that traded at very, 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 very low price journeys multiples going into the quarter because Wall Street figured they'd never be able to make the numbers. Then when the companies confessed and shaved their numbers down, their stocks rally because everybody knew it was coming. Take hey, Brunswick Corporation, long a favorite of ours, the maker of boats and boat engines, which reported a less-than-perfect quarter last Thursday, fair enough. While the company managed to beat the earnings estimates despite a revenue shortfall, they also cut their full year sales and earnings guidance. But it's really a shade down. And they issued somewhat disappointing earnings forecast for the fourth quarter. Yet, after initially opening down, the stock actually rallied on Friday, finishing the day up more than 2%. Why? Maybe because even using the new lower earnings forecast, Brunswick stock still trades at just ridiculous seven times earnings. Plus, a lot of the weakness isn't their fault. Front strong dollar, disruptions caused by Hurricane Ian, and a supply issue that sounds a lot like a semiconductor. So is it safe to circle back to this one now that the numbers have come down, or do we need to be more conservative? Let's check in with David. So, David, folks, David is the CEO of Buzzo Corporation. You've seen him on the show before. Get a better read of the quarter. Folks, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. All right. So, David, uh, it is so tough Right now for the Federal Reserve, it's tough for Treasury, it's, it, it's tough for every single one of these investment houses I work for, but it may be toughest for you. You've got to figure out whether to expand or not expand. And it looks like to me that there's such strong demand and there's so little inventory that you have no choice. But I'm sure there are others who would say, please husband the cash. How do you make your decision?
4: Well, we've always had a balanced capital strategy, Jim, but we continue to invest uh, for the long term. Having a strong balance sheet allows us to do that and still be very secure, even through uh, some of the headwinds that that we're all facing at the moment. I think you saw our third quarter was extraordinary, 20% up on the top line, 30% up earnings per share. And we expect a strong fourth quarter as well, still 30% up uh, earnings per share versus last year even though we're lapping the Navico acquisition. So I would say we have a very strong business with extremely strong cash flow, and we're able to modulate expenses, uh, but definitely invest through the cycle for the long term and make sure we exit uh, this uh, pullback in the market very strongly.
3: All right, so we've got current evidence.
4: The Boat Show, how's it going? It's going very well. I, I just came back myself, Jim, from the Fort Lauderdale show. It was an extremely strong show for us. But really good attendance. All of our brands did well. One example, our C Ray brand was actually thirty percent up in revenue this year versus last year. Versus last year, our uh, Mercury was up as well. Mercury had. Seventy percent of all of the outboard engine boats at the show, which is just extraordinary uh, performance from our propulsion brand, which, as you know, is actually the biggest part of our enterprise. So, really great uh, boat brand performance, really good buyer activity. You know, you you wouldn't necessarily expect that, but we're still seeing extreme strength in premium and overall in fiberglass brands. Buyers still willing to buy. All
3: right, so Dave, you've as you mentioned. I'm sorry. Well, I'm concerned as, about as you these mentioned, shifts.
4: pipelines are very low.
3: Right, but these 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 boats that you have that lack one part. I mean, can't you just go to whoever that is and just say, "Listen, you are destroying my quarter. I need that part now." Or does it not work like that?
4: Well, to some extent, you can have those personal conversations, and I certainly uh, have been a part of a number of those. But really, you know, we've managed supply chain extremely well through last year and through this year. Obviously, sometimes right at the end of a quarter, you know, there are certain parts that we can't quite get. But really, if you look overall at our uh, engine production this year versus plan and our boat production versus plan this year, there will be. On or very close to plan. So I would say even though we managed through the ebbs and flows of supply chain, and certainly uh, Q3 was, um, was a bit of a challenge, uh, on an annual basis, uh, we work it all out. Right now, I want to be sure
3: there have been times where there were too many boats in inventory, and that's when it really did pay to sell your stock. I hmm. want to be sure that is definitely not the case right now.
4: No, it definitely isn't the case, Jim. In fact, if you look at the U.S. market, which is our biggest presence, uh, inventory levels in the field are down 45 percent from 2019, which is obviously the last pre-COVID benchmark. If you look at fiberglass boat inventories, they're down 60 percent versus where we are in 2019. So we continue to be working hard, not only to fulfill demand, but also to refill those uh, significantly depleted pipelines.
3: Do we have any information about how Freedom, your rental business, has uh, created a whole new class of buyers, or is it still just a good standalone business?
4: It, it is a fantastic business, Jim. We just I just heard, actually, we passed 370 global locations. We're just about to uh, open a, a new location in Puerto Rico. We've, we're opening one in Scotland. Uh, I mean, it's really a global business now with more than 80,000 members. So it is going from strength to strength, uh, really a much, much bigger, and more material part of our portfolio now. And of course, incredible synergies with the rest of the business. They use Mercury engines, they use Brunswick boats. We get parts and accessories, uh, the utilization through freedom. So. Uh, just a very, very powerful and growing part of our business. We're very excited about
3: Well, if the market were ever just to say the world's not ending, I think your stock would go up a great deal, David Folks, CEO of Brunswick Corporation. David, it's great to have you on the show as always.
4: It's
5: a pleasure, Jim. Thank you for having me.
3: Man, money's back here for the break.
5: Coming up, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Don't be spooked by Kramer's Halloween night edition of Off the Charts. Next.
3: do with this market if the incredible run over the last few weeks one that very few called. We could speculate about what we'll hear from the Fed meeting on Wednesday. We could try to get a read on inflation. We could pour over the quarterly earnings. And all of those things are absolutely necessary. But none of them would have helped you call this terrific October rebound one of the greatest in decades. But you know who did call it? Larry Williams, the legendary technician and market historian who's been the number one expert in this space since I was a kid. Larry's written over a dozen books, created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators, which you can find on his website, which is called ireallytrade.com. Plus, he's got an amazing track record, especially since the start of the pandemic. I say this every time we go off the, off the charts with Larry. But that's only because it's important. Remember, he's the one guy, the only one who called the bottom in April of 2020, back when Wall Street was still very worried about COVID and worried about COVID lockdowns, thought they would last forever. The market would never bounce back. Larry predicted the opposite. He said business would start going back to usual within a month. And that was one of the best contrarian calls I've ever seen until recently. And because at the beginning of this month, Larry explained that the bear market, which everybody thought we were in the midst of, was toast. He predicted that October would give us an incredible bull run. Who else did that? especially late October. Sure enough, stocks have had an amazing move over the past couple of weeks. No one called this except for this man. What gave him the confidence, the history. Williams searches for patterns that tend to reliably repeat themselves. And when he finds them, they can help steer you in the right direction. Boy, have they ever done that for you. i got to tell you, four weeks ago, when he told us the seasonal patterns were about to turn bullish and the bear market would head into hibernation. Well, let me say that's a pretty darn pr- contrarian call. Everybody was terrified that rampant inflation would force the Fed to keep raising interest rates aggressively, putting ever more pressure on the economy and, of course, the stock market. There just wasn't a ton of evidence that the Fed was making progress in its war on in inflation. But Williams looked at the patterns and predicted the market would catch fire anyway, whether the progress was made or not by the Fed. Since then, we've gotten a lot more data that shows inflation might be moderating, which might give the Fed an excuse to be less ruthless. Now, if you listen, Larry, you would have caught this move. I know that we did for my travel trust. I listen to Larry. You can't bet against this man. So what does he see now? Well, if the bear market's toast, then you know what he's saying now? He'd say we're looking at toast with jam. Remember this chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average Futures in Black with Larry's true seasonal pattern in blue? Here's an updated version. This is what he looked at when he pronounced the bear market dead on arrival. And recommended buying stocks on any dip, which is what you had to do. That, the, that true seasonal pattern is based on the historical pattern at any given point in the year. And it predicted a monster run through mid-November. And it suggests we've got another leg higher through the end of the year. Can you imagine? Or right, check out this next chart, which shows the action the Dow through last week, along with Larry's long-term cycle forecast in red. He's constantly searching for cycles that tend to repeat themselves in a given security. And that red line shows you what he considers the dominant long-term cycle uh, in the Dow. Nice, huh? What is that cycle for? Bulls beware. Bears beware. Yet for Williams, this picture confirms the bullish seasonal forecast you just saw. The one that predicts a powerful rally through mid-November, followed by a pause with another leg higher toward the end of the year. How reliable is this cycle forecast? Okay. If you look at the action in the Dow Jones Industrial Average going all the way back to 1900, Williams finds that the Dow's rallied 62% of the time when we're in the current wave of the cycle, uh, the one that gave us this fabulous October advance. Now, that's a lot better than 50-50, but you can say it's not really exactly what we want. But wait a second. When you look at the third wave of this long-term cycle, the wave that starts kicking kicking in around December 9th, that's resulted in a rally and an astonishing 82% of the time. Look, if you can find a bet that wins 82% of the time in this business, you have to grab it into it and never let go because those are tremendously bullish odds. Now, how could we explain this market having a big run through the end of the year? We know that inflation is rampant. We know the Fed's on the warpath. Even if there's some speculation that they might ease up a bit after Wednesday's 75 basis point hike. But what if the economy is in better shape than we're assuming? Williams has a theory. I want you to take a look at this chart of U.S. gross domestic product in black, coupled with the velocity of money in green. Except the velocity of money is pushed forward in time a few years because Larry wants to use it for forecasting purposes. For those of you who never took an economics class or simply don't remember the velocity of money, it represents how often a single unit of currency is used to purchase something Within a set period of time. In other words, it tells you how fast dollars are circulating. It's a great indicator. What Williams has found is that if you use the velocity of money to forecast GDP growth, it's been incredibly accurate. Right now, you're looking at the numbers from the 1980s through 2010. So what does this mean for us right now? I mean, well, it's pretty correlated, right? Now I want you to take a look at this chart of GDP growth from 2011 to the present moment. With Larry's velocity of money based forecast extending through 2025. This picture is telling that next year should have solid economic growth. Next year, I know, I I know, it, it sounds kind of crazy. But it's certainly possible if the Fed backs off from their extremely hawkish stance. Why not? By the way, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who everybody worships, just put out a bullish call on U.S. stocks last night, making a similar argument. When you look at the money supply, he thinks inflation is likely to fall faster than most people expect, which would give the Fed more leeway to ease up on the aggressive rate hikes. Great minds think alike, although I know that Wilson does say earnings are going to get hurt badly. Here's the bottom line. The charges interpreted by Larry Williams were able to call this incredible October rally the only person who called it. And I shared it with you from day one. Now he says that this market's likely got even more upside even through the end of the year. I know it's tough to be optimistic after the horrific bear market we've been through, but I would not bet against this man. I would not bet against Larry Williams, not after his story career. And even if you are only as good as your last call, as some cynics would say, his was the best scene this year. I want to take calls. I want to start with John in Florida. John. Oh, yeah, Jim. I'm a CNBC
1: member since... Back in 2005, I've been watching your show, so it's uh, Thank appreciated you so much. the
3: first time. Um how you? Right. About... glad to be a member of the club. What's up? Great. Excellent. How about my stock, Shopify,
6: which had a great quarter? Right. Shop quarter. Shopify hour. had a really
3: good quarter. I loved the quarter. I thought it was very good. I'm so glad because I wanted Shopify to do well because I like them so much. I think that some parts of, the, of uh, Internet Commerce are being consolidated and they are a consolidation winner. Stocks come down too much. I think it's a buy. That's a new way for me. I've been negative on it for some time. Let's go to Rod in Tennessee. Rod.
1: Hey, Jim. Appreciate your work. Very informative.
3: Thank Sentinel you, Rod. 1. Thank you very much. One is Sentinel-1. a very good company, but you know, Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W, has the finest products, the best management, and is the one that I'm recommending in that space, and I am not backing away. It's Palo Alto that is the winner. Now, listen to me. The charts, as interpreted by Larry Williams, he called this incredible October rally. No one else did. And get this. Now, now he is ready to say that the markets likely got even more upside to the end of the year. Look, I know it's tough to be optimistic right now, and you heard all day today people said that move that we just had is over. I'm going with Larry. All right, much more mad money, including my excuse with a very hot stock called Republic Services. After a third quarter earnings beat, I'm running through the report with the company CEO. Then we just closed out the best October since 1976. So why are the wealthy voices on TV talking to us about how dangerous it is to be invested in this market? And you know they do that. I'm going to give you my take, and it's going to be the honest take that you want to hear, and what we been waiting for and haven't gotten. And all your calls rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round, so stay with Kramer. Last week, we got the first better-than-expected gross domestic product number of the year. Throwing some strong quarters from the industrials this earning season. It's enough to make you wonder hey, maybe the economy isn't going into a true recession and the high quality cyclicals are still worth owning. Or at least maybe we'll only have a mild inventory glut recession. If that's the case, then you know, what you should be thinking about doing? You should be circling back to some economically sensitive stocks like Republic Services. That's the number two player in what they call the environmental services business. I didn't think trash, recycling, but a lot more. Last Thursday, Republic reported a very strong quarter, including a big earnings beat. But because management didn't raise the full year forecast and also delayed the release of next year's outlook, the stock got dinged. At this point, it's down roughly eleven percent from its all time high. It's not that bad over this month. Although the fact that the stock could set a new record high this September is pretty impressive by itself, isn't it? So let's take a closer look with John Vander He's the president and CEO of Republic Services. To learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed, Mr. Vander Ark, welcome to Mad Money.
1: Thanks for having me, Jim. Great to be with
3: you. All right, sir. It's been 14 years since Republic has been on Mad Money. Long time. Perhaps uh, company's very different now. Perhaps you can explain the environmental services footprints you have now and all the new things that you've been doing since you've been here last.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, we have uh, assets now in 47 states. Uh, we work throughout The U.S. and uh, Canada, and we serve customers five million times every day. We get recycling and solid waste and increasingly a broader set of environmental services uh, off the ground and handle them in an environmentally responsible way.
3: Now, recently you bought a company that I've been uh, actually invested in when I was at my hedge fund a long time ago because I always hoped that nuclear energy would come back. But I don't think I said so, the reason why you bought it. But tell me about this U.S. Ecology acquisition, because you know, U.S. Ecology has always been a company that people like. But hazardous is a difficult business.
1: Yeah, people think about hazardous as being challenging and complex, and it is. And listen, we don't produce that, but we think uh, we, we handle it in a very environmentally responsible way. And U.S. Ecology, a great set of assets. They take about 30 percent of the hazardous waste across North America in one of their five hazardous landfills. And it allows us to serve customers in a broader way. Our biggest, most complex customers were asking us to handle their environmental services needs from stem to stern. And this now gives us an unrivaled set of products and services that allows us to serve those customers more completely.
3: Now, let's talk about recycling. Uh, There was a Jeffries report recently They were saying you got to be careful. A bad line of public services has to do with the price of recycling coming down. I'm I'm looking at this completely differently. I think that recycling is a great long term business. It's about environmental services. And I want to know what you're doing with not just paper, uh, but not just plastic. How about glass, which to me seems to be the easiest to recycle?
1: Yeah, we're long and we're bullish on recycling. I think I see a world of population growth and resource scarcity. And we know that customers want to do the right thing and recycle and they're willing to pay for it. Now, you're right. On the back end of our recycling centers, there is some volatility in the commodities we sell. uh, But we see that more as a short-term pullback for six to nine months. But longer term, we think that Cardboard and paper and plastic and aluminum and even glass uh, have a bigger future because society needs those resources.
3: But do we need to do what they do in Germany? Do we have to find people for doing it wrong? I think people are very glib about recycling this country. And whether it be all the Amazon boxes you get that you throw out or people just toss it as renewable. You go to any place and it's got a bunch of different silos. People are tossing the wrong thing. Do we have to impose some sort of system that makes it so that Americans recycle correctly?
1: Yeah, we think carrots and sticks uh, are both important on that. In fact, we're introducing uh, some new AI technology that actually scans the load when we tip it into our hopper. And so we can tell customers uh, how much their stream is clean versus contaminated and then give them feedback on that over time. And yes, we'll charge them over time. Uh, if they're, you know, c- continuing to put the wrong thing in the wrong bin. However, people want to know. And once they get the message, they're usually incented to do the right thing.
3: Oh, that's good. Now, public services has a terrific handle. There's always different places uh, on how business is in this country. There are many people who feel that businesses run too hot. There are other people who feel that the Fed's cool, cool things. From your perspective, are we in a decent place, a little less inflationary, still some growth?
1: Yeah, we still see a strong outlook. And we've got uh, not only think we're going to finish the fourth quarter strong, but we're going to have a outsized year again next year from a growth standpoint. And the two most, I'd say, economically sensitive uh, portions of our business are special waste, which is remediation type jobs, and our temp roll-off business, which is construction related. And we're still supply constrained. We still see a very strong pipeline there, not only in the fourth quarter, but in the next year. So Yeah, over time with housing, if that slows down, I expect there would be a pullback or there'd be some modulation of growth. Uh, But we're still got a high single digit growth for us in the next year, which is for business, which is low growth overall, is a really exciting time for us.
3: Uh, Couldn't agree more. I'm so glad you came back. This is an industry I've always liked. Next time, we're going to speak about renewable natural gas, which is another something that I think is just really terrific for you guys and for the country. That's John Van Der Ark, CEO of Public Services. Thank you so much, sir, for coming to, for your company returning to Mad Money. Good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me. Jeff. Take care.
3: Mad Money's back. For the break.
5: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next,
3: it is time. It's time over the lightning round. Remember, this is my rough welcome to the semi title. Bye, 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 bye. You don't even play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? ski Skeet, Dag, for the lightning round is almost Chris in Arizona, Chris. Jimmy Chill,
1: Chris in Fiore, Arizona. How you doing?
3: Chill is in the house and ready to go. Happy Halloween. What's going on?
1: Hey, no matter what those bozos on Twitter say about you, you still get a boo yeah from me.
3: Thank you. I have now forgotten them. I have made promises to my family and to my friends that they will no longer be in my life. So so they're, they're done and I'm done with them and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. What's going on?
1: Hey, if they're hating on you, it's only because they're watching you. Anyways, I want to well, ask you about a company I'm a little upside down in. Should I keep? Should
3: I get rid of it? Uh, lick my wounds. Palantir, P-L-P-R. I, you know, it seems like it's oversold. If you can get to the 10 bucks, then I would skedaddle. I hate to recommend it all the way down here because it's near the bottom, but it is not a company that I think can be relied upon. Uh, I just think when they appear on TV, they make me feel like it's just a big joke and I'm not in on it. Let's go to Tom from Arkansas, please. Tom. What's up, Jim? How are you doing today? I'm doing well because the Phillies are in, the Eagles are in, and it's Halloween. What's going on? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, my question is about Southwestern
4: Energy. I saw they reported earnings late last week, and they had a big blowout earnings for like two or three quarters right, in a row now. stock is
3: too cheap. It, it's seven bucks. I'm going to tell you right now. I wish my travel trust owns it. We're going to take a hard look at it. we got some other really good oils. Uh, let's go to Greg in New Jersey. Greg. Yeah, hi, Jim.
1: Big Halloween booyah to you. First time back to calling. Back you.
3: Long time follower. Thanks for all the hard Thank work you. that you do for us. Thank you. Miss. Thank you.
1: All right, so I've recently taken a position, a small position in Black Knight Inc., BKI, which is to be acquired by Intercontinental Exchange as initially reported back in May for $85 per share. 80% cash, 20% equity. I've been adding in the low 60s during the market turmoil. I know it's awaiting FTC approval, but in the interim, would you add more at the right price? Well, see, that's the
3: problem. The government is so fickle. I mean, look, ICE. I work for. I mean, ICE is here, Uh, but the government is so fickle. I hesitate to recommend any arbitrage situation because look at even Activision Blizzard. I thought that would have been done a long time ago. That one, I very rarely say this is just too hard for me. Let's go to David in my old home state of Pennsylvania. David, oh yeah, Mr. Kramer, I'm a big Booyah. fan. sir. I've learned a Thank lot you. from you, uh,
1: your books and show, and I really appreciate it. I'm also. From uh, Goal, you're
3: very kind. Join the you- club, man. We can really do well together. What's happening, sir? I recommended the stock last year, sir. I was wondering if you may please tell me your thoughts on Match Group. This thing is just too cheap. I mean, I don't get it, honestly. They've got a proven formula. It's done very, very well. I know it's missed a couple of quarters. I know people despise it. But at 43, really? I'm not going to recommend sale of that thing. How about Eddie in Georgia? Eddie? Yes, sir. What's up? Nothing much. By the way, it's Edwin, but it's okay. Hey, it first time. Oh, I'm sorry, Edwin. Okay. All right, what's going on, Edwin? Hey, first time uh, caller, a long-time listener. I just want your your view or your uh, opinion on one. On which one? On uh, Riot Blockchain. How do you feel about that? Uh, You know, look, I'm not recommending any companies that are losing money. And I also think this is a company that's kind of a play on blockchain slash uh, crypto that is, I just say, let's put it this way. I just think there are other better ways to play it. Just go buy Bitcoin. That's a better way. Let's go to Jerry in Pennsylvania. Jerry. Hi, Jim. Go Phils. Go Bill. Oh, my God. Yes. Go Phils. Right. <laughs> go tonight, Phils. What's up? Let's hope. So, so uh, I own a small, small sports broadcasting business, okay? And I would like to think about buying Manchester United. What do you think? I think it's a very interesting idea. You know that? I mean, look, it's it's not making money. Glazer family involved. I think, I think the sport is a fantastic one. But I have no catalyst, and when I have no catalyst, I just don't know how to recommend. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round.
5: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer faces the facts head-on to make you a better investor. Classes in session next.
3: some of the world's most wealthy people so quick to denigrate the prospects of the stock market? The Dow just had the strongest month since 1976, yet I didn't hear a single super-rich person come on CBC and tell you, just go buy stocks. Instead, I heard a cacophony of voices warning you how dangerous the asset class is, how this market's building easy money. So you've got to sell everything once that easy money gets taken away by the Fed, which is now. Now, of course, that would have been great advice in October of 2021. No, thank you. Now, though, we're nearly a year into the Fed's war on inflation. The easy money's been gone for a while. I feel like these bears are a little late to the party. So let me give you a couple of insights about why so few money managers want to stick their necks out by going positive to help you. Other than the perennially bullish Warren Buffett, I can't think of a single member of the super-rich who'd encourage you to buy stocks. Mind you, I'm specifically not talking about regular rich people, the kind of guys who come on, say, Scott Wadman shows. They're money managers, and they're tasked with finding stocks that can outperform the S&P 500. Nor am I talking about old friend Lee Cooperman, who trades his own family money for a living, always has good ideas, even though he's negative right now. And I can't wait to hear from him on Squawk Box tomorrow morning i also specifically talking about these billionaires who come on who actively discourage you from having any exposure to the stock market and warn that picking individual stocks is a fool's iron. They make you feel like a fool for owning a stock. That's right. Even as they often made their careers buying stocks at horrendous times for stocks that turned out to be great times. See, there's zero accountability for these guys. Because if the anchors criticize them on air... You know what? They'll never show their faces again. What billionaire needs the headache of being held responsible for their public statements? These guys have what I call double immunity. Because they're super wealthy, they are, therefore, must-have bookings. And because they don't have anything to promote, there's no incentive for them to come back on air if they don't want to. So the industry's got to be gentle with them. And boy, is it ever. Of course, I don't want to be too extreme here. I'm not declaring... An investor class war on the richest of the rich, not by any means. I think they should have the right to make as much money as they want, as long as they pay their taxes. These people aren't actively trying to mislead you either. It's just that they have different priorities from regular people because they've already made their money. You only need to get rich once. They don't want to keep you in your chains. It's just that if, you, if I had a billion dollars, I'd never want to own a stock again either. How about munis? Or i do it for fun because why well, take risks if you don't have to? And that's where they are. Here's the crime of it. People tend to make the most money when they go against the grain after a very long move. I would have killed for one billionaire, to come on air, at the beginning of the year and say, you know this Eli Lilly, it's got a new drug that I think could be just fantastic for a multi-year move. Or maybe someone could say, you know what, just because it's going, you, people think you're going to recession, Caterpillar, under Jim Umplebee, a change company, and you've got all that federal infrastructure money. The only question is, how can CAT handle all the demand? I mentioned this because it reminds me of my own trajectory. See, I started out by, I didn't have any money. Jeez, I had a lot, I had a lot of debt, living in my car, everything wrong. I started out by reading and learning and discovering and truly being diligent about this stuff. If there were a lot of takeovers in an industry, I'd make a field bet, not unlike betting a bunch of horses, which is what I used to do. If there was a theme that could be discerned, like the ascendance of big pharma in the 80s, I'd look to see who would have the best drug pipeline. Sometimes it was pretty obvious, actually, Lilly, Merck. And then I'd hold them until those stories came to fruition. I made a lot of money off a little money. A lot off a little. And more important, I learned to invest through stock picking. Index funds are great. Always had them. But they're not going to let you rack up outsized gains. You know what? I do my job now. Now, because I want to teach you to become a better investor. That's what the investing club's about. It's just about teaching, darn it. Hey, maybe you don't know how to be disciplined. Maybe you're too wedded to your ideas. Maybe you don't know how to do the homework. Maybe the whole thing's just bewildering. That's what the investing club's about. But the one thing I will never do is tell you there's no opportunity. I think the people who present themselves as extremely worried about the market this month deserve to be chastised for lazy thinking. A lot of these guys are so wealthy, they don't want to or need to or look up any opportunities anymore. They're out the pasture, but they should just say that rather than stubbornly warning you away from the whole asset class and missing this move. See, even if they want want to be negative, they should still try something I mean, pick out areas that they hate. The ones they hate the most, maybe you can sell them. Hey, I hate big tech. That would have helped us, too, rather than just going with some amorphous market-wide negativity. But I'm getting a sense that it's way too much to ask for. Maybe it really is. If you had a billion dollars, would you do homework on individual stocks? Just keep that in mind the next time one of these guys tries to scare you away from the entire asset class. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
0: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away.